I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's Painless Sunday School lesson, Without Works. Welcome back to a freewheeling episode of the show. This week, we're going to have some loose conversations about the subjects of immigration and the concept of salvation. Today, we'll start with a spirited discussion on how to treat people who come to us for help our hospitality toward people who have come to find rest from the unstable places in the world. We call this segment, Living Like a Refugee. What have I told you? that there was an active attempt to prevent Christians from immigrating to the United States, predominantly members of the Catholic communion, being hustled and harassed out of their homes, separated from their families, put into internment camps. Would it make a difference if they weren't Christian? Well, they are. Most undocumented immigrants are Christian, estimated 83%. Removing those immigrants would reduce the Christian population by an estimated 9 million people. 40% of American Catholics are Hispanic. When I use the term Hispanic, I'm using it as a 50-year-old man. I'm using the term because what it's generally meant to uh, understand is Spanish-speaking people of both European and American origin, of which I am one, being part Native American and culturally Mexican-American, but actually not. We migrated from California um, in the 1870s, I think. So... I feel that, that term encompasses best what I am because we don't use words like mestizo anymore. Right. They're very unfamiliar to people, and that's mostly something you'd hear about in a Western or an anthropology class. So that's why I'm using that term now. So if you use the term Latin or Latinx to define yourself or mm-hmm. your people, please understand that we right. are including you under this sort of maybe larger umbrella of Hispanic to include those of native origin as well as those whose blood was mixed with the European colonists. So we're going to use the term Hispanic through our conversation. All right. But realistically also, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, Hispanic people are not the only immigrants coming to this country. They're just the ones that are being targeted heavily these days. Exactly. Uh, and so we're going to start there, but we'll sort of expand from expand our, our discussion out. And we are going to do a little bit of a more freewheeling conversation while trying not to get upset because yes. we're upset. <laughs> Hispanic people make up 16% of the evangelical church. So who's preventing Christians, these Christians, from working and living in the United States? Christians or people claiming Christianity. Former Attorney General Jeff Sessions cited a biblical passage defending the rules of excluding and abusing these Christian immigrants. He said, I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey laws of government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. This was supported by the former press secretary, Sarah Sanders. I'm not aware of the Attorney General's comments what he would be referencing, but I can say that it is very biblical to enforce the law. That is repeated throughout the Bible. This attitude has not gotten very far with the United Methodist Church. 
More than 600 members of the clergy and lay people have charged sessions with violating the Methodist Book of Discipline. Why am I approaching this from the point of view of action taken against Christians? To prove that while conservatives often complain about Christianity being under attack from liberal ideals, the worst attack is coming from American citizens claiming Christianity, excluding other Christians. Not just excluding them, but then separating from their families, putting them in concentration camps. And I will use the term concentration camps yes. because that is what they are. They are not death camps. Those are different things, mm -hmm. or they can be evolved into. But yes. right now, what we have is the textbook definition of, of concentration, concentration camp. camps. Yes, exactly. Uh, and they are claiming to be upholding Christian ideals while perpetrating these uh, abuses, abuses on fellow Christians. Which makes utterly no sense. Right. And I would also offer, you know, from the humanist standpoint, mm -hmm. I know you don't love a humanist. I'm not talking about the secular big humanist, S, right. big H secular mm -hmm. humanist. I'm just talking about right. a person interested in the fact that we are humans. Uh, the exclusion of somebody based for or against their religion is not great to me. We are supposedly a country... Uh, outside of religion. Uh, so being inclusive of a group because they are Christian, well, we are excluding, mm, say, Muslims on a travel ban list, which um, I would like to just point out real quick, that is still in effect. Mm. That is a real thing that is also currently still in effect. Uh, is not ideal to me, but what is ideal to me is treating human beings like human beings as as though they were right. as though when if you were in trouble you might want to be treated as the human being that you are so one of the reasons again bringing it up this way is that we can see from the way that they're treating these fellow christians it's not about their faith it's not about what their mm -hmm. uh interactions are going to be with the culture Right. Living in the West, most culture is Hispanic anyhow. There's Hispanic influences, place names, mm -hmm. words, food, everything. Yes. No, this is this very is clearly racial. a race-based issue. And uh, like the abortion issue, what the real issue is with conservatism is about race and preserving a culture based on race. So the evangelical church is, I would say, what are the... What is the what does the phrase the cool kids say? Caping for white culture. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means, but I'll agree that cool kids probably say it. Probably say it. Mm -hmm. In other words, what the the position being put forward by the quote unquote evangelical church, right? Uh, if they're talking about quote unquote Western culture, what they're talking about is white culture. Considered yes. And so the cr whole entire grouping of evangelicals, if they claim these. Uh, support of these abuses based mm -hmm. on these perceived dangers to the quote-unquote culture. Right. What they're doing as a whole uh, is supporting white culture, which I would also like to point out as the resident white in the room <laughs> is not a thing. Whiteness is not real. Well, it's a construct. It is a, it's construct. a construct based on 
a dozen European countries and and it changes and has changed mm -hmm. uh, significantly and consistently since right. quote unquote whiteness was a thing. It was only Anglo-Saxons, and then it was expanded to mm -hmm. include other... Well, at one point, it didn't include the Irish, the Poles, or the... Um, Italians. Italians. Yep, Or I Jews, know. for that matter. Or Jewish people, that's Which right. Is, and we can see in the new conservatism the that is in power now, there's a very strong anti-Semitic streak. There is. It, they are leaning very heavily towards Scandinavian and very mm -hmm. far away from everyone else. Right, into a really old-fashioned way of racial purity. What's most disturbing to me is that the original inhabitants of the Americans are the ancestors of the same people who were excluded from entering the United States. Correct. So what we're talking about is preserving a transplanted culture, European culture Correct. here. Correct. Or keeping it... That, that took over because of, quote-unquote, manifest destiny. It's actually syphilis and smallpox, mostly. But well, right. But <laughs> under, manifest the, destiny. under the guise that God said mm. so, so this Which is, is what we're doing. Which is the same attitude that we're getting right now. When we're getting these attitudes from Jeff Sessions and, and Sarah Sanders. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're getting the same attitude that God says. Essentially, they're taking... And this is ridiculous to claim Christianity and believe this, because... And we'll go into that and go into that in mm -hmm. uh, other uh, broadcasts. Jesus is such a passionate rebel against laws, laws, and organized laws. religion, and he is all the time to the point where you know, as we see very famously, he physically assaults people and pushes them out of the temple for using religion as a way to get money. Yeah, he is very, very, very against yes. it. So the idea that somehow he would countenance the comments that just say, everyone shut up and, and do what you're told because it says so in the Bible, is nothing that he would ever stand for. Right. And nothing that he does stand for. Because again, the difference probably between our opinions is that you would say he would never, and I say he doesn't, because it's like a, a right. living presence. Right. Um, did you want to include the things you wrote about the, the Mexicans? Or? So, uh, right now, in mm -hmm. the United States, these are from Pew Research Numbers, uh, from t 2017, everything's on a delay, uh, Mexicans make up less than ha half of all unauthorized U.S. immigrants uh, for the first time. And uh, the numbers have been declining in recent years. There were 4.9 million Mexican unauthorized in immigrants living in the U.S. in 2017, down from 6.9 million in 20 2007. So in a decade, it went mm. down a third. Wow. Meanwhile, the total from other nations, 5.5 million that is more than 50%, is uh, ticked up from 2007. The number of unauthorized immigrants has grown since 2007 from both Central America and Asia. Asia actually has probably the most, mm -hmm. uh, most incoming. Okay. What you'd say, they come here on a visa, the visa expires, and now they're a new undocumented uh I'm say citizen immigrant, an undocumented immigrant. I don't like the term alien. These are human beings that we're right, talking exactly. about. I don't like the term illegal. They're human beings. Human beings by Illegal's existing. Illegal is a terrible term because it sort of invalidates the def the person as a person. Right. It feels to me very two thirds. Uh huh. But we're going. This is what it's harkening back to in yes. terms of the attitude. Once again, we've got a a group of people in power and a group of people who want power mm -hmm. 
for the people who look like them who want to go back to the America is for white male landowners yeah. and everybody else can get out. And that's, first of all, just on a very basic level, mm-hmm. not a feasible way to structure your country because right. white male landowners don't do anything. They don't produce anything. They don't make anything. And so your country will do not, it will disintegrate and die. Also, they can't have babies. So right. women need to be in the mix. <laughs> uh, the um, the other sort of startling and important number is that two-thirds of unauthorized immigrant adults in 2017, about 66%, had been in the United States for more than 10 years. Mm. That is 10 years paying into our tax system while getting no benefits for it, mm. while supplementing our economy, while picking our fruits, while cleaning our... Uh, are everything, cleaning mm-hmm. all of our rooms, nannying our children. Right. They are, and I say our children like the entitled white person that I am because I understand <laughs> yeah. that many of these people are doing more cerebral work. Uh-huh. I also think that all of the jobs that I'm listing are utterly important and our economy would collapse without them. But what's not happening is these factories that will only hire these people because they can pay them less than minimum wage because these people don't have other options and have nowhere to complain to. Those businesses get nary a fine, nary a jail sentence. Including the the president himself who employed illegal immigrants to work on his uh, various uh, building endeavors. And I would offer that the past tense that you just used is probably not accurate. I would offer that that is happening today. So what we need to do as a country is fix our immigration laws. And the way to do that is not to lock up people indefinitely. The way to do that is to, if you've been here for 10 years, there's a path to citizenship for you. There's clearly a place in our communities for you. You are not stealing work from some other American who now can't find work. That is not how this works. You need a path to citizenship, and you need to be able to take part in the in the safety nets in which you are paying into consistently, because they also pay more taxes than we do, you and I as actual citizens. Um, because they also don't get the benefits, right? Mm-hmm. The next thing you do is put a a metric crap ton of judges <laughs> at the border uh-huh. to hear these cases, these asylum cases, immediately and rule on them immediately. You do not charge people with a crime for crossing the border when you have closed all of the legal ways to cross the border. Well, that you're becomes a misdemeanor. People for taking the only uh, chance that they have at being mm-hmm. successful and living a life, and they're not asking for a great deal either. And a lot they're of not these, taking food out of your mouth. They're not. And a lot of these people are not even here. coming here the way that they were 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. ago as migrant labor. Who they'd come across the border, they'd make some money, they'd go back to Mexico for a while. They'd come across the border, they'd make some money, they'd go back to Mexico for a while. A lot of these people are coming from Central America because. 
and they're bringing their babies, right. literal babies, because if they stay where they are, that whole family will be murdered. Yeah. And that's because of policies we put in place. We, um, we in the church that I used to uh, attend, we had a family from Peru, and they were an educated family. They were all college um, educated. Two of them were teachers. Mm-hmm. And they were facing persecution from people preaching communist ideology. Yes. To the fact that one of their family members was killed and the communist group of students that were responsible for this wouldn't allow the body to be... It was, they were killed in public, like Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Left on the street, and these people oversaw the the, uh, the body so that no one would take it and bury it properly. Because the idea is you were sending out a, uh, a warning to everyone else who is not consistent with this ideology. And and we need to mm. maybe specify communist ideology is virulently anti-religious. Yes. So they, they were f- being killed mm. for being religious. They fled the country and they came here. I would. The, the the risks that this family took, I respect them a great deal. They're they're beautiful people. The risks that they took to get here, including one of them, was literally strapped to the underside of a moving truck. Yep. And spent two days, more or less, getting unstrapped, given water, and, and strapped again. He was being marshaled back and forth by coyotes, who are not the most morally, morally upstanding of people. Mm-mm. Um, in point of fact, some of the women that were coming over paid for their passage by repeated sexual abuse. Oh, they, uh, Honestly, if you make it to the United States border, right. you're basically a superhero. I couldn't do it. Well, the, the My com- soft American uh, ass would die. I think that what he described was something very close to death and that some people could not make the trip. Mm-mm. Some people um, were abandoned by the wayside, by the coyotes. You didn't have enough money to pay. They left you in the desert somewhere. And now people, Uh uh, American citizens are being prosecuted for leaving water and food in the desert so that these people are not dying on their trek here. They're being persecuted, or excuse me, prosecuted. Yeah, well, both. Prosecuted. Actually For having compassion. I'll share something with you. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. A foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. That's Leviticus. This is part of the law of God passed down to Moses. Now, it used to be in that culture that you were... When you did a harvest, you left things behind for widows, foreigners. Yes. You didn't reap all of your stuff. Like if you had a harvest of, let's say, wheat, you left some behind so that other people would be able to live from it who were not being able to eke out who a living. Who didn't have the land right. that you have to, to make the things that you can make. This scripture refers to God. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You are to love these foreigners, for you yourselves are foreigners in Egypt. Again, it's reminding them. That when Joseph first came to Egypt, before all of the slavery happened, Mm -hmm. he came as a foreigner and lived on the outskirts of Egypt. And the Pharaoh at that time, who was grateful at the part that Joseph played in saving the Egyptian kingdom, allows them to live there Mm -hmm. in the outlying kingdoms. The Egyptians were not too fond of shepherding as a profession, but they required it 
to make clothing and other things. So what they did is that they allowed the shepherds to live outside on these outskirts, raising their sheep and doing their work for them. They reached a relationship with the Egyptians. And for many, many years, they were, abs- they were able to live peacefully together. What that's telling you here is that God himself makes the injunction, or God itself or demands that foreigners be treated kindly in memory of the fact that at one point, all of us as a nation, the Jewish nation, were foreigners living in another country mm-hmm. and were shown kindness and were shown res- you know, respect for what we were speaking again from the biblical point of view. I'm not Jewish. Right. <laughs> now, there's another interesting example, one that you... Um... Yeah, Ezekiel 16.49 says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. The sin of Sodom is not Sodomy. The it... sin of Sodom was ignoring those in need. Now, if Sodom is literally... I love the term Godsmack. You know, it yes. literally got mushed by God because of the incredible lack of concern that its inhabitants showed the poor and the needy. Then we are very in a great deal of trouble. Very shortly. Evangelicals will preach about Sodom against homosexuals mm-hmm. and miss entirely the point. So the point is this. You don't treat other people as less than people. Mm-hmm. Period. There was going to be more, but no. Human beings are human beings. You treat them like human beings. These people would not make this dangerous and terrifying track. No. And traumatizing track. Right. Unless they had to. And so... This is not a holiday. These are not people who are going to go visit your country and drink margaritas and listen to Jimmy Buffett songs. And No, this is not... Oh, you mean like how I go to Cozumel or whatever and Mm -hmm. do that? Yeah. This is not what these people are doing and then eventually taking over your culture. These are people who are desperate, who are being murdered, who are being killed, who are being abused. These are countries... And I, I have to say, some of these are countries where we as a government have interfered in their elections... Mm-hmm. We've interfered in the maturation of that country. MS-13 is an American-made problem. Mm-hmm. So if these people are running from MS-13, the people who are coming here are not in MS-13 because MS-13 is living like kings in these other countries. They right. don't want to come here. Yeah, they, they, they exist because of the demand for something that they have to sell that we buy a great deal of. Uh Guns or drugs? (laughs) Take your pick. Uh, So I think that one of of the issues that we really have to think about when we're describing this is, first of all, the conditions that people are being lived, that people are living in. Yes. We have these huge camps where families are separated. There's no guarantee that these children are these children will ever be returned to their parents. Because how do you track a four month old? Right. A four-month-old looks like every other four-month-old. I'm sorry, y'all, but babies look the same. That's how it works. So if if a four-month-old is taken and a year later, Mm -hmm. they're not microchipping them. Right. They're not even... the. A lot of these people don't have clothes. They don't have anything. Or all of the things that they had are taken from them. They're lying on a cement floor with, I guess, what is it? Mylar blankets? Mylar blankets, yes. Um, They're not allowed to change... Or the, the sanitation conditions are terrible, so they're, they're, they don't actually have clothes to change into. Some of these people have been living in the United States for years now. They're, we're 
actually, the government is actually seizing people from their homes. I don't know how you can reconcile that with your Christian faith. It's impossible. The reason why I say this is because of this statement. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is a very famous quotation from Jesus. When he is asked, when did we do these things for you? He said, when you did it for the least of them, you did it for me. So if you live your life for Jesus Christ, you do this to What you for... have to do, effectively, is see Jesus Christ in everyone who needs your help. Yeah, and if you don't, if you look at somebody who's black and sees and right. see a criminal, and if you look at somebody who's brown and see someone who is less than you, right. trying to take what's yours... You're doing this. You're not You're not doing mm-hmm. this. You're no. doing everything wrong. What you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be able to see everyone who's in need and extend to them the same kind of fellowship you would if you saw Jesus in that same position. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus did not teach people or did not say to put them in camps. And this is why when I look at the issue from the Christian point of view, you're looking at people who are encouraging the suffering These are people who, the suffering of other human beings, Mm -hmm. other people, and at this point, as we've discussed further, these are their brothers in Christ. Yes. Not just, it's, it would be terrible if Uh it was Muslims, or if it was atheists, or if it was, but most of these people are, as you would say, Mm -hmm. brothers in Christ, and sisters in Christ. So this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing to the faith that we are supposed to be a part of, which means it doesn't mean anything to you. And to extend it further, as we've seen in these other verses that are describing foreigners, it's not saying foreigners who practice your religion. It's saying foreigners. Foreigners, just people People who are from outside your borders. Right. If you really want a chance to convert someone, show them kindness. And then they'll start saying that you're practicing what you're preaching, and then they will become interested in your religion. They're not even willing to do it for those... Uh, who are already in. Right. They're already in. So it's, and it's, all they're doing is seeking the kindness that they would offer if you showed up right. at their door needing help. If any of the white people mm-hmm. from this country ended up in Honduras with no money, uh, having been robbed, say, mm-hmm. they would find food and comfort. I guarantee it. Right. And all these people want is that, to be treated like a decent human being. And to be given a chance. And to be given a chance. Right. They're coming here seeking, legally seek, seeking asylum. asylum. And all we want to do is close off any chance for help that these people have and then just turn a blind eye mm-hmm. as they are killed. Right. In the countries that they're coming from. I, I, I know that, I'm not sure what the tally is so far of people who've died in the camps. It's low, but it's not zero. So it's not, Well, it shouldn't have been. There shouldn't have been a one. They're also now saying that they won't be vaccinating, so they have too many people in too small a space. Right, which is a Which, sure when recipe. flu season comes through, is going to cause an epidemic of some mm, sort. Right. That's what will happen, because... That's how disease vectors work. And this is a problem that is easily solved. You know what we need to do? Not this. That's it. Right. We need to send a bunch of judges down 
to hear these cases in a reasonable time and let the people go be with their families. I don't understand this sort of in- interventionist policy. Uh, excuse me, not interventionist. Let me rethink that. I don't understand the obstructive policy of refusing to allow the press, of refusing to allow congressmen or Congress, you know, people in Congress to be able to see what's going on there. I don't well, understand it because it, it looks like you're simply hiding everything and then claiming that there's nothing to see. There's nothing to see. And then covering but it with scripture. This has been the modus operandi of this administration the right. entire time. To say there was no collusion and then to obstruct justice repeatedly. Right. Well, if there's nothing to see, then why don't you open the shades? Right. Because what's to see is rotten corpses and terrible abuses and children taking care of other children Mm -hmm. because there are not enough adults present. Right. And people not getting enough to eat and people getting sick and... There's no reason for any of it except to bulk up support for racist, ill-informed, mm-hmm. incorrect fears right. that uncollege-educated white people have. Specifically, it's that group of people, well, non-college-educated white people. What did Jesus do? What was this mission I mean, on earth that he did? But when he saw sick people, he cured them. When he saw hungry people, he fed them. Remember, he mm-hmm. miraculously makes food for thousands of hungry people. He does the exact opposite mm-hmm. of what the administration has chosen to do, claiming, again, Christianity, Yep. which is what makes it upsetting. You are in no way representing this faith. Right. And what you're doing is making a shame of it to the world. Uh, there's a minister who is has separated from his very conservative church. He made an interesting comment. He said that if there was a perfect prescription to lead people away from Christianity or make young people abandon the church, it was the new conservative movement and Donald Trump. Because he believed that their incredible shining beacon of hypocrisy I think that's right. Uh, is right. making so many people turn their back on religion because of what they're doing. And so it's, uh, it's misrepresenting the faith to the extent where people are no longer going to want to embrace that faith and that culture that they're so interested in preserving. What is being touted as needing preserving is mm-hmm. this white supremacist which, yeah. ideal, which is false mm-hmm. and broken and means nothing. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if if we bought Greenland, I feel like <laughs> the people who should go live in Greenland are all the people mm-hmm. who want a white country. Just go over there or... You know what? You know what the, uh, a country I can think of that mm. is particularly white is Russia. So why don't you go live there? But this mm. is the United States. Like as I've said before, it's very hypocritical to look at this country and say the transplant transplanted culture should be the dominant culture. Absolutely, this is ha- something that happens with colonialism. It happened in South Africa. It happened in Australia. Is another really good example. Yeah of having a culture that essentially took root somewhere and then took over. I've had really interesting and really unhappy interactions with people online who shared with me that that anybody born here is an actual Native American 
And so being a Native American doesn't count, or having that... that uh, oh, that's wild. Right. I mean, I could read you the quotes. They uh, No, I believe that people went, are saying this. Right. They went so far back as to say, well, there's evidence that Native Americans migrated here 65,000 years ago, so they're immigrants. Of course they did. And I you, thought, everybody came from Africa. Right. I hate to break this to you, white <laughs> right. man. Oh, yes. I was in a physical anthropology class where there was a straight, sadly, it was a German woman who kept arguing with our teacher that there must be some evidence that uh, some groups evolved independently of Africa. And she said, there's no evidence of that. And this woman got really red-faced and upset. And the rest of the class were all much younger, except for me and this woman, were all looking at each other like, we all know where this is coming from. White fragility is astounding to me. As a as a I am white I'm white as mm-hmm. I'm not as white as you can get, but I'm pretty close. Uh-huh. I'm largely um Irish and Scottish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Neither do have, which would count as white back in the I day. I do have Native American blood in me, which mm-hmm. means absolutely nothing because what counts is Tribal affiliation, mm-hmm. not blood, because their cultures were raped, mm-hmm. and my blood has nothing to do with them mm-hmm. if it was taken by force, which I don't know one way or the other, but I'm certainly never going to claim Native American ancestry. Hey, Elizabeth Warren, I'm just saying. Just <laughs> denounce the story. When you're 10, you can believe what your family tells you. Now you need to understand. Mm-hmm. Tribal affiliation is what counts. It's not a single drop. It's not yeah. like a single drop of blood and you're a Native American. That's And too many white people have a shameful family secret that now they claim is a reason that they can wear a headdress at Coachella and it's not okay. Right. And I'm going to stand here as one of those people with that blood in my body saying it's not okay. It's not for us. Mm. If they want us to be involved in their culture, they will invite us in. We don't get to just say that we are that. So I am a white person. I am a Caucasian woman. (laughs) Okay? And what I'm here to tell you is, white culture is nothing. There's nothing. I would infinitely prefer to be able to say, I am a proud American and stand next to Mm -hmm. people of Asian descent and Latin or Hispanic descent and African descent and European descent Mm -hmm. and Middle Eastern descent. And we all stand here as proud Americans who lift each other up. I would prefer that than saying whiteness is the best. It's not. It's nothing. Whiteness is nothing. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. And what it means today, it didn't mean 50 years ago. It didn't mean 100 years ago. It didn't mean 150 years ago. It's nothing. It doesn't exist. So could we all just let go of it? I don't understand why this phony ethnicity Mm -hmm. is so important to people. Human beings are human beings. If you could look at another human being as a human being, a lot of things would become less important. I also don't mean that your cultural identity is Mm -hmm. unimportant. What I mean is it will be less important to me to keep you from going to the bathroom wherever you feel comfortable if I look at you as a human being and don't try and put you in female or male box. If I don't, if I, 
look at you as somebody who needs help and a new place to live as a human being instead of a brown person who doesn't speak the language that I speak. Take it that step further that Jesus is insisting on. Not just a human being. Look at the other person and see God. I mean, that's you, you ultimately can do what that. he's asking. I, again, that's what I have to do. I'm, I'm right. asked to do. The burden is on me, believing what I believe, to look at the other person and be able to see. And it's hard to do. It's very hard to do because sometimes you want to go, This I have to see what part of God is still inside of someone like Donald Trump. Right. Which is horrifying. That's a rotting piece of a little toe that's going to fall off at any moment. But what I have to do is look at that and go, I have to say that I can't hate this person for what they're doing. They're doing something horribly wrong. What I have to do is do something right. What it calls is for me to be active. And that's part of what Christianity is never passive. It's a very active religion. You have to do something all the time. Yes. But what I disagree with is don't claim that you are worshiping the man on the cross when you're the guy who's nailing him to it. Right. And that's everybody who thinks that these right. camps are okay. Everyone who can do the opposite of what he said and then claim that they're okay with him is lying to you. And they're lying to themselves. Right. Love your neighbor, sound alarm bells, speak out, mm -hmm. call your representatives, send what you can to races. I'll put some things in the show notes, um, mm -hmm. some services and groups that if you have money, you can donate to. And if you have time, you can donate to. I'll put those in the show notes for there, people to I'm find. I'm hoping there is a legal, a legal fund for these people who Racist are... Racist is that. Yeah, who are showing compassion to other people at the border. Next up, we have another loose conversation about the steps to salvation. What you must do. What what must I do? Pray to God in your own words, colon. Number one. Okay. Admit. Admit you are a sinner and that only the Lord Jesus can save you. Two. Repent. Be willing to turn away from sin and submit to God. All right. Three. Believe that the that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood to pay the price for your sins, and that he arose again. 4. Ask. Ask God to save you. That seems pretty easy. <laughs> it's two words. Right. Three words. Say please. 5. Ask. Oh no, he doubled up at the end here. <laughs> Ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord in parentheses, take control, and parentheses, of your life. If you really made Jesus your Lord King, then act like it. Read your Bible every day and get to know Christ better. Talk to God in prayer every day. Find a church where the Bible is taught as the complete word of God and as the final authority, and obey Christ's command and be baptized. So that's what I have to do. So how many, five steps? Yes, but two of them are the same. Well, they also seem to be in a really weird order. It doesn't... A-R-B-A-A -A -A doesn't lend itself to no. nice shortening. 
and also nobody else can help you. Jesus said, I am the way to the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Nobody else can help you, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. From Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. So what is he talking about there? Do you th- what do you come away from it? I think that one day you wake up and you realize it's time to get yourself saved, and then you out loud, uh-huh. I think, probably have to say. Maybe very loudly. Excuse me, God. I believe in you. Excuse me, Jesus. Would you be in control of me? And then you have to get dipped. Dipped. <laughs> That's a very abbreviated version of what it says. Now, I heard uh-huh. on a podcast... Uh, it's a true crime podcast, and one of the players in the true crime, probably not the committer of the actual crime, but a committer of other crimes, says that he is saved. No, he didn't. He started to go to church, and he's been to church regularly for a year and a half, and mm-hmm. he's going to get saved after he gets the ankle monitor off because he can't get all the way in the water with the ankle monitor on. And I'm like... I feel like you need to be saved. Now. What if something happens to you before you get the ankle monitor off? Then are you just um, SOL? I, no. Um, God has a lot more mercy than people give him credit I for. I feel like he should. <laughs> right. So I grew up with this. There was a, you know, what happens is that there'll be a crusade. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, there was a Jimmy Swagger crusade. Ooh. Now, Jimmy Swagger... Did you all get dressed up like knights? No, no. Jimmy Swagger was an evangelical preacher who was a great evangelical preacher as that went. There was hellfire, there was damnation, there was repentance, there was sinning. Unfortunately, we later on found out he was doing most of the sinning. But he packed out the Oakland Coliseum, believe it or not, three nights in a row. And at the end of every service, he does an altar call, which is your literal come-to-Jesus moment. Okay. And so people leave their seats and they come all as as far as they can get. And then there's ushers who are recruited from local churches who went out in the audience for people who couldn't walk all the way from the back of the auditorium. Mm -hmm. And they would pray with you the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer is basically like that. It was a formulaic prayer. I'm a sinner. I realize that I have messed up my life. I confess my sins and I ask your forgiveness. And blood of Jesus, wash away my sins. And again, this is using the metaphor of what we talked about before, the Passover lamb. Okay. Right? So blood of Jesus washes away my sins, and I'm going to be clean, and now I have to go and work out my salvation by doing the right thing. And so these are very emotional, very powerful things. Mm -hmm. These altar calls and people, it changes their entire life, the experience of it. So it's never something to be taken lightly. However... It is goofy the way it's describing it there. It's also a thing. I have heard people say I was saved every two weeks mm-hmm. as a child. Because you go to oh. these revivals uh-huh. and you'd be saved again and again and again. Well, and I'm like, does it wear out? I'll tell you something. What's going on? It's only supposed to happen once. That but sounds exhausting. I'll tell you something, though. 
just from a purely emotional point of view, it's really cathartic. It's literally having a peak moment. That sounds like a drug then. If you're it, supposed to do something it, one time and you go back for seconds and because is, it feels right. good, this is are you getting difference. high on Christ? When Don't get high on Christ, kids. <laughs> Well, it's one of the safer things you can get high on. I mean, is it, though? <laughs> so, when you look at the way it's supposed to be done, the experience of, you can only recognize once your failures and decide to repent. I mean, you can change, do course correction later on in your life, but the moment where you realize that you need this is different from next week. I guess I still need it. No, it's not but like it, you have to renew this. It does feel, though, like you could renew it in 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 situations very much like drug addiction, but mm-hmm. the other way around, right. where you fall off the Jesus wagon. Right. Where yeah, you that, find that yourself makes much more sense. acting uh-huh. in ways that, that are... inappropriate or wrong. Right. So the, let me... Hey, every evangelical that backs Trump, mm. y'all need to be saved. Right. So this is... It, it, the individual salvation is a really interesting idea. All right? Christianity is for individuals. The important thing to remember is that Jesus taught salvation for individuals, not a country. And so, are we going to make a distinction here very quickly between mm-hmm. those who are baptized, you know, mm-hmm. at babyhood? No, no, no. We this don't. We're not just talk, about the, that specifically. Is it anybody other than Catholic? Oh, uh, the high Catholics church tends and, to practice it. That oh, way. the Orthodoxies, right. right? Okay, okay. Right. So these are. And and as an evangelical mm-hmm. child, you're born and raised in the faith, but you, but you have to, make, have this to make the decision at one point. I appreciate that. Even if you are being uh-huh. indoctrinated from a very young age, probably. Right. So you're probably going to make the decision. I still like that you get to say, you know, you have yes, to say I it, make right. this decision. And there are some other versions of the faith, some of the, the don't, you know, you're born into the, the, the religious culture. But what Jesus taught was salvation for individuals. In the Old Testament, there was a kind of a notion of corporate salvation. God calls to Abraham to form a separate nation. And by the time that we get to Moses, it's a culture that's bound together by and rules all of and your laws. people, by the way that you're born, uh-huh. you're you're born into these saved and uh, preferred people. Right. So this is what happens with the chosen Judaism. people. Right. The chosen people. So these people are called, they're chosen, they have, a, when we get to the time of Moses, a group of rules that now hold them together. It's a bloodline and I'm talking of, about, of salvation. About ancient Jews. Right. We, we have a friend, um, we had a very funny conversation how she said how often she talks to Christian people who think that, that Jews still offer sacrifices. It's like, no, that stopped a long time ago. Kid you not. She, I mean... The, because they don't know anything except biblical Jews who live. I would in the maybe Age. believe that, like on, at mm. Seder, there was something um, that would represent that mm-hmm. within the meal. But no, I don't think that there's so, actual yeah, so sacrifice. There was the time from Abraham, and then there was the time to Moses, right? When it was there was a culture, but it did not have this cohesion that came from the rules and the regulations, the dietary laws, things like that, right? They weren't bound that way. That came... Largely because they were a people of slaves at that well, point, right? So they that, weren't they really... were nomads. Between Abraham and Joseph, they were okay. nomads. Okay. And then after Joseph's, um, we don't know that period of time, how long it was, living around Egypt, and then eventually being absorbed by uh, the Egyptian Empire to be used as slave labor. Right. So uh, there where wasn't... they couldn't control right. 
what they, they were have doing. Some sort of individual culture, right? No, of course. But we don't know what. I mean, it's very far in the past. It's like saying that mm -hmm. the culture that African Americans were able to hold on to, right? From the, but it wasn't even yeah, from Africa know, then. Isn't like right. African culture is because now because were, it's whatever they could hold they were on a culture to. Culture of shepherds and herdsmen. Mm -hmm. Then they became slaves, right? So they became skilled labor and semi-skilled labor for something else. Mm -hmm. What they held on to, we don't know. Some mm -hmm. of them weren't even Jews in the sense that we would have because they were worshiping Egyptian gods. Okay. And then there, because when Moses flees out in the desert, he's so kicked out of So we're talking now ethnic Jews. Right. Moses is kicked. Well, this is an interesting question because Abraham made Jewishness. God calls to him and says, I'll set you apart from everybody else. You make a pact with me. And now... You're Abraham, we're going to change your name, change the name of your wife, and despite your great age, you and your wife, you're going to have children, and there are going to be so many children, you can't count them because they'll be like the stars in the sky. Right. Which is a lovely promise. But he was not a Jew in the sense that we get now, that he was a different ethnic identity. He was one of whatever... Oh, interesting. Okay. ...group of identities that came from this part of... Jewishness is really interesting to right. me because it is under these two different... Yeah. Sort of umbrellas. You can be culturally, mm -hmm. ethnically Jewish right. and not religiously Jewish. Or you can be religiously Jewish and not ethnically or culturally right. Jewish. Or you can be both. Yes. <laughs> and it's that's very interesting to me. Oh, yeah, no, no. It is. I wish a... that there were different terms. Right. Because it, it winds up being... It winds up being confusing to people who aren't familiar with it or people on the outside. It also, I would say, lends to the accusation of anti-Semitism right. when you're talking about abuses committed by the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. I am talking about abuses right. committed by the head of a state. And I am not... I, I have nothing to... I, his religious or, or ethnic... Either of those identities don't matter to me. I'm talking about the, the political is, decisions being made by a state. This is why we're going back to the idea that they lived as a corporate identity. Okay. The country sinned. It got invaded by other cultures. It got dragged away. Their cities got burned. They repented. Their cities prospered. So they thought of almost living like you rose or fall based on what the group did together. Interesting. And their their whole adherence to the law. Like they've got a big basket and everybody's mm -hmm. tossing good and right. bad things now, in with their behaviors. A, and individually, then... you had to pay for your sins. And that's why in the book of Levitic Leviticus, mostly it's describing mm. prescribing the ways that you offer animal sacrifice in atonement for your sins. Oh, gotcha. All right, so the, the, the temple itself, when it when they actually built a temple, which is much later on, the time of David the king, or just after, uh, they built a temple, you went up, you offered sacrifices, it was a whole city to itself. And you took your animal there based on the sins that you committed. Everyone knew what you sinned, because if you were bringing a turtle dove or if you were bringing a cow, it was a different thing. But you could actually offer sacrifices for your whole family mm -hmm. there. And the priests had a whole organization, and they had prescribed rituals, so it was self-sustaining as well, because some of it was used as a sacrifice, some of it was used for food, some mm -hmm. of it, it was all very carefully orchestrated. But again, on the whole, sin, the sin of a whole nation could make the nation fall, and individuals suffered for what the nation did. This feels like what 
some evangelicals talk yes. about when bad thing when nine eleven happens mm-hmm. and they want to blame homosexuality. It well, feels it like also, that kind yes, of a mindset. It also is they, which, a lot hey, of them that's not borrow from that the notion that abortion is going to cause all of us to fall because right. some people are aborting. And this mindset in the Old Testament was very strong. There's a story of uh, the Battle of Jericho. Mm-hmm. There's a victory over the over uh, Jericho, and the order from God was that nothing is to be taken from the city and saved or preserved. Uh, a man and his family decide that they're going to steal spoils of war okay. and hide them. And then the next time Joshua leads his men to battle, they're routed completely, horse, foot, and artillery, so to speak. And he wonders what went wrong. And we what are we just doing? ran over the biggest of the city-states in the Promised Land, and now... A small one just puts us all to flight. What happened? And then he discovers that somebody stole spoils. And that man and his family are stoned to death. It just feels like a lot of superstition. <laughs> well, but the thing is, it was a very different time. We were talking also about scapegoating, right? A like, very long time ago. Right. But mm-hmm. this is what we do to people now. Right. But I can't... They're stealing our... They're doing... Right, you know, I it's can't their fault to, that... Because I don't want to, like, say that story is nonsense, because obviously this is what I grew up Right. With. No, no, no. Of course. But, but, I mean, but, but it, yeah. it feels like a slippery slope. It's Yeah, it is a slippery slope. The, when things right. went wrong for... In the book of Judges, later on, in the, when it's invaded by the Assyrians, and later on by the Babylonians, who actually capture people and take them away to Babylon and destroy the temple and all, when those things happened, it was... Our nation has sinned, and we've been judged. Okay. So that was very much an idea that what you do, you can atone for that, but everyone pays the price for what you do. Right. Which is kind of the old idea now. If you don't atone, or whether or not you atone. Well, it's everyone corporately pays if you're not uh, if you're actively sinning. Okay, so until you atone, mm-hmm. we're all screwed. Right. Okay. So people atone by offering a prescribed sacrifice for their sins, a particular animal, um, or going through particular rites, uh, the kinds of animals that had to be sacrificed to cover sins to make people acceptable to God. Those were offered by a priest. It could only be done by the priest. Oh, you so know, you needed an, an actual person who okay. was a descendant of Aaron the priest, who was a Levite. Okay. He was from that tribe. They would butcher and burn the animal, and these things had to be done in a temple in a very particular way. Now, in 640, the Jerusalem was destroyed by the Bab- uh, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who was a remarkable king. And he took captives with him to Babylon because he believed, like Kublai Khan or Genghis Khan, I believe, that he could absorb the wisdom of the other countries and the teachings. So he took the best and the brightest and the most intellectually um, or the I mean, most yeah, you probably can. Took That's... them back to Babylon and made this very multicultural... A multi- Babylonian brain drain. Right. <laughs> And this is, you know, we get the very famous story of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these loyal Jews who stayed there. But the period of time in captivity before they were allowed to go back into their country, they had to start developing different ideas about how to atone because they were nowhere near the temple. And there were no no priests around to, to, you know, give them atonement. So they started developing very different ideas. As a matter of fact, there's a good case to be made that Satan didn't exist until they entered Babylon, because it's not an idea that exists in the Bible up until then. Gotcha. So they adopted some of the Babylonian ideas about demons that live in the desert and things like that, too, 
there's references to it in the Old Testament. They mention Azazel, who lives in the desert, but there's no story about who Azazel is or right. how he came into being. And also, he lives in the desert. He's not the king of hell. Right. So, like, that's not... Well, what they would do is, when they're wandering through the desert, they would push a goat out into the desert so that Azazel would leave everyone alone. This became the scapegoat. Oh, poor goat. Well, who knows? I Maybe know. it found a fountain in the desert and lived happily it ever did. after. It did. found an oasis. Right. But those were the kind of ideas that they had. You could appease evil as well as gotcha. appeasing God in his judgment because God was very strict. Now, so this whole time away in captivity and coming back led to different ideas about atonement. The first time that we get really like the Christian ideas in the Bible about atonement comes from John the Baptist. Because he's in the desert, he's living in the desert by the river, because there actually is rivers in the wilderness, in the, in the desert, or there are rivers in the wilderness. And he asked people to be baptized as a, a sign of their repentance. He was going to wash away their sins. I just need to get a time. So you said 640. Was when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonian king. B.C.? Uh, AD, uh, BC, yes. BC. I think John the Baptist was really kind of influenced by the sort of ideas that came back after the captivity. So the the term the Baptist, what did it mean when he was Well, he kind of invented it. That? He just okay. dunked you in water. He just made up the term Baptist? As far as we know, there might have been similar... I mean, rituals, obviously but... the word that came out of his mouth mm-hmm. wasn't Baptist. That's right. the English right. version of whatever the it was. English version of whatever... Not Anglicized, whatever English language word version. that he made right. up for dip. <laughs> as far as we know, there might have been similar rituals, but this is what he did. And he poured water on your head, mm-hmm. or he dunked you, we don't know, because the Baptists would believe that he just dunked people. But what he was teaching is... And a lot is, of people go into rivers now. Right. Like, that's like a thing. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. But what he... Uh, but not if you have an ankle monitor. Don't do that. Not if they're alligators. Also that. I was remembering the uh, one of the stories, the ladies, number one ladies detective agency. Oh, no. Yeah, I could see that because a, they definitely had alligators there. Right, this woman in, in Africa, a person being baptized, and he gets taken away by a crocodile. Um, oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Crocodile's not alligators. So John the Baptist is this wild character. He may, has a clothes made of camel's hair, and he eats wild locusts and honey. He's just this... Sounds delicious. And he, well, they're, actually, believe it or not, they're kosher. I would guess that they're very good for you as well yeah. and better for the earth. So he was kind of this wild desert creature who would baptize people. He taught that... And, and this is where people, I think, have a misunderstanding... He wasn't teaching that the world was going to end so much as he was teaching this world is going to end. Right. The world as we know it. Is going to end. And is going to end. It eventually which, did. It happens all the time. It right. literally happens every 50 to, now, like 50 mm-hmm. to 100 years. Yeah. And it did then too, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem and destroyed everything. Uh, well, they were in Jerusalem, but what they did is that they quelled a rebellion by destroying everything. That's one of the things that was covered in the last temptation of Christ. Yeah. Which, to their credit, one of the few historical things they actually touched. The rest of that yeah, was made Yeah, I think up. that the... Technological revolutions that happened between 1985 and 19, and probably 2000, uh-huh. ended the world as it was right. before that, I would argue. No, uh, and no, we are in a different world. We are, effectively. So John the Baptist introduces this idea that you come and repent for yourself. Not the whole nation has to repent. You are, you know what you did. You, right. You know what you did. <laughs> You're a sinner. I don't care if you are going to the temple and offering the sacrifices. Come here and wash yourself clean and pledge. 
It's very much like... It's a very good uh, metaphor, like actual living metaphor to wash... Exactly. ...your misdeeds off of yourself. Right. And these people were having that ecstatic experience I was describing where people were going and flocking to the desert for this. Right. And so this is the beginning of that. And then Jesus, who also went to get baptized, despite the fact that he wasn't sinning, and John the Baptist tells him that, why am He's I like, baptizing you? like, you're so shiny you? and clean. This seems He's, like a waste. Well, John the Baptist, who is his relative, by the way? Yeah, weren't they cousins or well, something? Well, yeah, because remember... I mean, he's everybody the, was cousins, I guess. The child of Elizabeth, who... Uh, That's right. Right, so... Uh, John the Baptist... Mary's cousin, so like second right. cousins or what, yeah. So, uh... Familial links. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, goes, why am, shouldn't you be baptizing me? What's up, cousins? Right? <laughs> But you are very <laughs> right. clean, and I feel out of my depths. So, and of course, Jesus didn't put himself above anything. That no, was no, like his like, old deal. This is what we're all going to do. This is what everyone's doing. We have, I'm going to do this. So Jesus taught that salvation was free to be accepted or rejected by each individual person. The emphasis in the old ways that everyone has to work together, and it still was that, and that you did have to offer your own atonement. But this new way meant that you have to, as an individual, accept salvation or not. Right. And that's that was kind of the uh, the one of the things that broke away is the idea that it's just you. Okay. In terms of Jesus, though, he's praising people who are not followers sometimes on their faith. There's the story of the Roman soldier who is a good, ethical, honest man. Right. And believes in God as far as he as a pagan can do it. Right. Who comes up to Jesus and says, I have a servant in my household who's been here since, you know, we were children. He's very sick. I'm not going to ask you to come back to my house because I'm a pagan and you're a Jew. Right. But I know because I'm a legionnaire and I know there's a hundred people under me. Mm-hmm. And if you, if I give the word to one of my soldiers they will do whatever I say. So I know that if you give me the word from here that he's going to be okay, he's going to be okay. At which point Jesus is absolutely overwhelmed by this pagan going... So is this pagan basically looking at him and saying, you're the the leader of them? Right. It's like you have some amazing spiritual power and I respect you because I'm also a man in authority and I understand Like he recognized... So does he want to bring this man's salvation home to him? No, he wants to bring... The man is dying. He wants right. to cure him. Oh, he wants to is. cure him. Okay. He's like, could you please cure him? And so Jesus didn't say, wait, you have to convert. Or he didn't say... He didn't no. say any of that. He's just like, your faith is amazing. Your faith is more beautiful than the faith of people who've been raised in it their whole lives and still don't believe in it. So go home, your servant's cured. And he goes home and his servant's cured. Well, also, he's also asking for something... Outside of himself. Right, right. which is which amazing. Which is a which big piece of it, I'm sure. a huge piece of it. But he, he's not forcing him to do things. Like, that, he's not like, here are six hoops right, to jump through. He's not going to give you a, a track and say you have to do this. He's right. actually just, it's what Jesus was teaching. It's like, it's free. Just it's free. take it. You have, but you yeah. have to take it. But well, there's some things you have to understand. First of all, you have to understand that like, effectively, what you're doing is not working. It's like, if you're coming to me, right. it's because something is wrong. Right. The first not, person, or the right. first the step to admitting, or to solving a problem is admitting there is one. Right. We're going to go back to the 12 steps again, because Which is that's... based on... Yes. Right, this. So, what Jesus was doing was, 
just saying it's free. Here, take it. But the thing is, you're going to have to take responsibility for yourself right. after this. Once, once I give this to you, mm. it's not like it's not a special dispensation right. to just act whatever so, terrible way you have been acting and you don't get to continue to be right. terrible. So Jesus, you and, need you know, to wait till I get my ankle bracelet or ankle monitor uh, knocked off. Then I can get saved. No, no, that's not what it is. Jesus is, he's visiting with, because he often did with leaders of the, of the law, of the temple, members of the Sanhedrin that were Pharisees and Sadducees that together made up the Jewish governing body for religious matters. And he would get invited to their houses all the time. So one day he gets invited and he's sitting down and he's not treated with a great deal of respect by them. Because generally when you come in, they offer you a bowl of water to wash your feet. They offer you something because you're walking around these dusty roads. And right, right, right. So no shoes. as this happens, as he's sitting there talking to them, this woman comes in and grabs him by the ankles and is just a crying mess. And she's crying all over him. When she realizes that she's cried all over his ankles and his feet, she begins, you know, with her tears, she begins drying them off with her hair. And so the other people in the room are going, Rabbi, talking to him again to teach, I don't know if they were meaning to be sarcastic, but there's like, Rabbi, you know what kind of woman this is? Who's touching you? She touched you. She's unclean. And was his response, she's shown me more courtesy than any of you? (laughs) And so he says, you know, and then he does something. So she's doing this and he tells her, you know, you didn't offer me anything to wash my feet and she's washed them with her tears. Right? And she's dried them and she's shown me more consideration than you have. And then he says to the woman, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, you can't forgive sins. You're not a priest. And he's like, well, what's easier to tell her? Your sins are forgiven? (laughs) What am I supposed to tell her? She came here honestly wanting to repent. And so her sins are forgiven. Don't do it again. Just stop doing what you're doing and change your life. And that's basically what he did. Yeah, I take issue with that story in that all those men that were condemning that woman were mm-hmm. the one using her services. I well, guarantee it. Thing, and where, keeping her in the poverty that made her have to do that in the first place. For, for some reason, she's become associated with Mary Magdalene. And it doesn't say that explicitly in the story, but she's become associated with that, which is why our word for a weepy person is maudlin. It's a corruption of the word Magdalene, because the first time you see her in the Bible, she's, she's weeping. crying. Interesting. Um, and similarly, the other very famous story is the woman who's taken in adultery and they're going to stone her. And Jesus is sitting very quietly, for some reason, playing in the dust. I don't know. He's like sitting there writing in the dirt, just amusing himself. Meditative. And um, I'm, I kind of imagine making like a, a garden. A I was thinking garden. like a sand garden, exactly. <laughs> I was like, it was the Buddhist in him. And um, so what happens is that the teachers of the law who are trying to trap him in front of discredit him in public say, well, this woman's taking adultery. Uh, should we stone her? That's what the law says. And he says, fine. The one of you who's never sinned can throw the first stone. Mom. And, right. <laughs> and then, There's a joke that then a stone right. comes sailing out of the crowd and Jesus goes, Mom, I hate <laughs> when you do that. <laughs> it's an interesting story. What, what yeah, is, right. No, yeah. we condemn all day long right. without well looking out and never Which turn that view back on Which goes into what we just talked about with immigration. Mm-hmm. Don't pay attention. He was fl- 
flagrantly ignoring the law there. It's like, no, yeah. the law says she gets stoned, but go ahead. Whoever one of you has never broken the law yeah. is the one free to enforce the law. Yeah. But um, Hey, cops. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, <laughs> so in the Gospels we're told of an influential Jewish teacher who comes to Jesus at night, and this is where we get the term from. He's not supposed to be seen fraternizing with Jesus because Jesus is a radical. So he, Jesus tells him that the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God that's coming, is only really visible to those who've been born again. And that's where that term comes from. So he asks, well, am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb and get Gross. born again? And he's kind of mocking him, and Jesus says very poetically, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but can't tell from whence it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So it's like, okay, yes, he did drop a koan on him, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what he's saying essentially is this is we, we take this as this kind of cathartic experience that people are supposed to use to move forward. What he was describing isn't necessarily something so cataclysmic. I mean, he didn't make a special rite out of telling the woman weeping at his feet, right. you have to be born again. Right. He's telling her, your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven. And people really respond Now act like it. Yeah. Now go out Don't there and realize. Don't wake up. It's, uh -huh. It is a little bit like, like people take New Year's. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make this resolution. Right. I, I'm no longer a person who does this. Because as of the 1st of January, magically, right. I don't smoke anymore, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so you wake up as a person who doesn't smoke anymore. Now, granted, it doesn't last. And maybe that's why people get saved repeatedly. Right. But it, it does feel like a, just act like that's the person that you are now. Mm -hmm. And start, what you do is that you're given now, you have a set of guidelines and Jesus made them terribly simple. There's no book of, the, of Christian law. There's not supposed to be. Love um, others right. as yourself. Love God with all your mind, heart, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's two. That's two commandments. That's, that's two. all there is. That's, that's all he left behind for you. So what he's asking you to follow is simple. It's not asking too much of you, but also asking enough of you in that now use this filter going forward with right. the way that you treat other people. Right. See me and everyone that you talk to. See me and the people that you want to mistreat. And that's why it becomes a sort of religion of, ultimately it's supposed to be, of respect and love. But that's what makes me uncomfortable sometimes with like what we were reading earlier. That there's a bunch of steps you have to take, and you have to follow these steps, and then, like, zing, you're saved. And you no longer have to worry about it. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review. And share it with a friend. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts of our episodes can be found there. We are also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information's on the website as well, so go there and have a look around. I've been Amity, he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to get out there and do something good. Amity!